podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. In 1884, Australia was accused of introducing a bloodthirsty spirit into the newly named Ashes Contest. I mean, I suppose some things don't change. But the schedule was far different back then. Led by Billy Murdoch, Australia was scheduled to play 32 matches, including a three-test Ashes series. Australia had the upper hand in the first test at Old Trafford and at the third test at the Oval. But England secured the series with an innings victory in the second test at Lords. But one of the matches on this tour was not a test and was also nothing like anything else. The idea is usually credited to Vial Walker, who was an incredible cricketer himself, an aggressive batter and champion lob bowler. For those who don't remember, lob bowler is someone who literally throws the ball as high up in the air as possible to try and lob it down onto the stumps. He made 3,384 runs and took 334 wickets in 145 matches. He was one of seven brothers to play first-class cricket, as did his uncle. But the idea behind this match was lovely. It was to raise money for the Cricketers Fund Friendly Society. And so they decided to have a game that was smokers versus non-smokers. And if that wasn't weird enough, it was that these two sides were made up of players from the England and Australian teams. There were smokers in the English team and smokers in the Australian team. And you're not going to be shocked here, but both teams also had non-smokers. Meaning that at the birth of tests, as nationalism enters cricket and professionalism starts to hit the game as well, you also had teams splitting up depending on who liked a durry or not. The match started with much laughter when the smokers, led by Lord Harris, took the field with lit cigarettes. Though Ted Pete bowled a splendid spell, taking six for 30, George Bonner made 124, which was the only score in excess of 50 in the entire match, which allowed the non-smokers to make 250. One of the non-smokers happened to be W.G. Grace, who took five for 29 and then three for 63, and he bowled out the hapless smokers for 111 and 152. The runs were polished off for the loss of one wicket. And the two most famous beards of cricket at that time, Grace and Bonner, for once on the same side, combined to lead the route. The purpose of the game was served. Though the match ended in two days, the crowd was very good and the gate receipt was £561. However, the most apt finish came when Bonner, who played for the non-smokers, remember, celebrated the win with a victory walk around the ground, smoking a pipe. That is Stuart Broad level trolling. Especially at this point, the poor team of smokers were probably struggling for their breath after W.G. Grayson Bonner had beaten them so much, plus, you know, all the smoking. This is Double Century, the podcast on the history of cricket. This season, we wanted to visit some of the weirdest stories in the game. Cricket has a unique ability to meld itself into cultures even outside of sport and produce wild tales. So this season will include theatre, sausages, dogs, and perhaps the most famous disability match ever played. But this episode is on the real ashes. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yes. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yeah. It's got a high-res 120Hz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. In 1886, Alfred Shaw took his men out to Australia for a 30-match tour. This included two tests, both to be played at the Sydney Association Ground, which we now know as the SCG. England scraped through by 13 runs in the first test by falling off a more comprehensive 71-run victory in the second, and they retained the Ashes. Wisden wrote of the team, The team taken out to Australia in the autumn of 1886 was one of the strongest that ever left England for the colonies. All 13 members of the side, seven of whom were from Knots, were professionals. But there was an eight-day gap between the last two matches. Since the penultimate match was against the Sandhurst 18 at Bendigo, which is about a couple of hours north of Melbourne, another fixture was scheduled at the East Melbourne Cricket Ground. The original idea was to play a match between Alfred Shaw's 11, which is what the touring party was called, and a combined Australian team. However, making a combined Australian team was not possible as the New South Wales players were not available. Thus, the organisers decided to have another smokers versus non-smokers contest. The rules were the same. One side consisted of smokers, while the others did not, and the players from Australia and England were split into two teams. If you really wanted to go deep onto this, by the way, I think you'd have to question how the two teams always seemed to have 11 smokers and 11 non-smokers between them. But there was also a weird change, because Billy Gunn had originally played for the smokers at Lords, and now he had switched sides. We can only assume that he had quit smoking in the interim period, though unfortunately we don't have that many stats on how many smokes Billy Gunn had in his life. Oh, by the way, you might just think I'm just naming an old cricketer that doesn't matter all that much, but Billy Gunn, you might know the gun, as in Gunn and Moore cricket bats. The non-smokers also included Billy Barnes, who had met with an accident at the end of January. He played for an East Melbourne 15 six days before the match and took a wicket but did not bat. He surely was not fit enough for this particular contrast. But hilariously, this game was big enough to have major sponsors, and they had prizes as well. Andrew Ward listed them out in his great book, Cricket's Strangest Matches. The prizes were cigars mostly, which is a great prize for one team, but kind of terrible for the other guys. Arthur Shrewsbury had no hesitation in batting as a team and as a player. He batted for the entirety of day one, finishing not out on 183. The opening stand of 196, however, was dominated by local star William Bruce, who slammed 131. Billy Bates fell cheaply, but Gunn flogged the bowlers all around the ground. He reached 104 by stumps. At that point, the score was 423 for two, which is a good score in any game. But when you're going up against a bowling attack that has Johnny Briggs and George Lohman, plus Eugene Palmer and Henry Boyle, and I'll just repeat that name again, George Lohman, you may remember him from the greatest test bowling average of all time. 423 for two seems pretty good. To be fair, everyone unanimously agreed that the pitch was too flat, which I think the score had already told us. Briggs had said, I believe one ball in my last over nearly broke a quarter of an inch. 
The run fest continued on day two. Shrewsby made 236. Gunn went on to make 150. Richard Houston, Harry Musgrove, Jack Worrell, and William Cooper all contributed. And the non-smokers would finish day two on 792 for eight as their opponents literally went up in smoke. I'd like to apologize for that. After the sixth wicket had fallen on 686, the seventh accounted for another 104. During that partnership, the non-smokers went past 775. That was the existing highest first-class score, which was set by New South Wales against Victoria in 1881-82. Murdoch made 321, Sammy Jones 109, and Tom Garrett 163 on that game. And the non-smokers continued to bat. Because of that, they scored more than 800 runs, the first time that had ever been done in first-class cricket. Eventually, Briggs would take his fourth wicket, four for 141, and the non-smokers were bowled out for 803. It should be pointed out that at that point, the highest recorded score for any form of cricket was 920 by the Orleans Club against the Rickling Green in 1882. G.F. Vernon made 259 and Arthur Trevor made 338. The problem was that that game wasn't actually granted first-class status. But it tells you how much the non-smokers did well that against very high-quality opposition, they still almost scored not only just the highest first-class score, but almost just the highest score in cricket. And the smokers now had to go out and bat, and they started pretty well. They were 204 for one. But unfortunately, they lost a couple of wickets at stumps, and the score was 302 for three. They were 501 runs behind. But it was pretty unlikely that the non-smokers would be able to take 17 wickets on the last day. But Bates was bowling his off-spin on day three, and on the final day, he ran through the smokers, finishing with six for 73. So from 302 for three, the smokers would actually be bowled out for 356 and Shrewsby enforced the follow-on. Not sure how many times in a first-class game you would enforce the follow-on when you've scored 356, especially in a four-day game as the follow-on would have been 150 runs, not 200. There was, however, not sufficient time to actually get an innings defeat. Briggs, who took four wickets in the first innings, also would go on to make 86 and 54. And the score read 135 for four when the last ball was delivered. If Charles Bannerman was thought to be the greatest stonewaller of that era, Scotton was a very worthy challenger. He was one of the finest professional left-handed batters of the 1880s, but he was more renowned for his uber-defensive approach. In the previous summer, he had scored 34 runs in 225 minutes in a 170-run stand with WG Grace. But the other reason I'm mentioning this is because Scotton did face that last ball, and he was very keen on having a souvenir for the match. Remember, this was a record-breaking match and also a fairly remarkable one even for that era. The greatest players in the world were playing and they'd all swap sides. So as the ball came down to Scotton, he defended it and then he went to pick it up. At this point, though, the umpires had not yet called stumps and Shrewsby, obviously the English captain, appealed. But remember, the funny thing is that this was a mix of Australian and English players. Either way, it didn't matter. They all appealed and Scotton was given out, handled the ball. But in this case, he got to handle the ball for the rest of his life because he kept it. At the end of the game, the promised cigars were distributed. Weirdly, though, they didn't do it the right way. In truth, this was the real ashes. And what should you get for winning the smokers versus non-smokers battle? Cigar ashes. Instead, they just got pre-cigar ashes, or I suppose as we would normally call them, just cigars. Thanks for listening to Double Century. This podcast was made entirely possible by our supporters at Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. 
Double Century is a podcast narrated, produced, and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer, and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes, and co-produces the show. Sports Social Podcast Network.